Would you take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Jonah? The book of Jonah this morning, if you would. We're going to share together. We finished up our series last week, Standing on the Promises. I thought after Pastor Joe preached the promise of Jesus coming, you can't top that promise. So I better just leave it alone and put it to sleep and move on to the next uh, book we're going to be looking at in the Bible. And that's going to be in the book of Jonah. I was getting the bulletins ready last evening, and uh, my grandson came running in the room, and he picked up a bulletin, as you can tell on the front of it. Uh, I said, I bet, I, I said, do you know what I'm preaching on tomorrow? He said, yeah, I bet it's a whale's tail is what you're preaching on. And in hindsight, I almost wish I would have called the series A Whale's Tale. The problem is we don't know for sure that it was a whale that was associated with Jonah. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible just says it was a great fish. And Jonah is an amazing book, one of those books that you read that you would think, you know, could have uh, Hawthorne written a book like that? Could Charles Dickinson have written a story like that? Uh, the most brilliant writers, Ernest Hemingway, certainly couldn't compare with something like this. But the Word of God can. Jonah is in a book that we know is a minor prophet. That doesn't mean it's less than a major prophet. It just means that it's smaller. Out of 12 prophecies, Jonah contains only four chapters, about 48 verses. But I want to tell you, church... It is one of those small books of the Bible that you can go back and read as a life coach book. Something that you can walk your mind through, your spirit through, of seeing what God wants to do with you, regardless of what stage of life that you're in. Jonah is that kind of story. Some people think, well, maybe Jonah's fictitious. It's not real. I want you to know it's real for two reasons. Number one, the book of Jonah is in the Word of God, so it's real. Number two, jo uh, not only Jonah believed Jonah was real, but Jesus believed that Jonah was real. In the New Testament, Jesus commends Jonah just as he was in the belly of a whale for three days in the resurrection, or the belly of a fish, forgive me. Then just like that, Jesus Christ would revive again, be, not revive, but be resurrected again. Now, I want you to do something very different for me this morning. I don't want you to look at your Bible. I have you have it open for a reason. Inside your program, there's an insert with notes. But lend me your ears and let me tell you a story, Frankie version. Are you ready? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to that great city of Nineveh or Columbus and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Morrow County, Tarshish. <laughs> he went down actually to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and, and each cried to his own God, My God, God, whatever God I worship. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. I'll never figure that one out. The captain went to him and said, How can you go to sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots through the dice, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? 
From what people are you? You know, eventually the world's going to ask you who you are. Where'd you come from? What are you doing? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? I can't believe he said it. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great calamity has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. Even the heathen were trying to save him. But they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord, for you have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and on the count of three, they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And these heathen men made vows to God. But in his goodness, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Father, somehow let us extract some principles from this one chapter that will maybe change us for the best of our life and the rest of our life that we look for your leading and guidance and then walk in obedience to it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, what does this mean that uh, we're talking about Jonah's story, that he is running and he realizes he can't get away from God even in this terrific storm that's going on? I think that the principle of Jonah chapter 1 is the principle that we all need to learn, and that is that you can't live your life for yourself. I don't think that every day of your life you have to be a missionary overseas or standing on the streets of Columbus saying, turn or burn, flip or fry, get right with God or die. I'm not suggesting anything like that. But if you are a blood-washed child of God, I'm suggesting that if you have not yet experienced it, there should be at least one time in your life on this earth that you go beyond earning a living, getting all you can, preparing for your retirement, and saying, Lord, how can I serve you? What is your calling on my life? What is that thing that you want me to do? Or more, even more real is if you're not praying that, but God interrupts the pleasure of your life, and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to do something. And instead of ignoring it and running away, you say, God, show me your will for my life for this day and what I'm doing. The truth is, as you study the scriptures, a child of God, you know that you were shaped by God to serve God. And everything that we do, you don't work for your employer, you work for the Lord. The Bible says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. However gifts and talents you have, you realize that those come from God and you want to use them. And you say, God, I want to use my gifts in my mission. And we all have a mission. It's a God-given mission that he wants us to have. And one day it's going to be very clear to everyone in this room that we were responsible for our mission. And after this message today, you'll never be able to say, I didn't know that I was responsible for that. Because the truth is, just with Jonah, there's a day of accountability coming for Christians. It's not talking about heaven or hell. It's talking about when we will stand before God and he's going to ask the simple question, what did you do on, your li on, on this earth during your life for me? It's going to be a day of judgment. 
And the Bible says not only is God going to see it, but everyone surrounded around that beam of seat is going to see you and see your mission and see that day of judgment happening. Here's what the Bible says. I'm not going to read it all, but at the top of your outline in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says in the very first sentence, each of us should be careful how we build our lives. Now, the truth is we're all building our lives, whether you realize it or not. The verse will go on to say that some of us are building our lives around wood, hay, and stubble. And we think it looks real pretty for a while. You know, that's why women should wear makeup. A coat of paint will help anything. And sometimes we'll put a coat of paint on wood, hay, or stubble. And we think it looks real pretty for a while. But in reality, the wood, hay, and stubble will not last. In 50 years or 60 years, it will deteriorate and will be gone. But instead, Paul says, build your life on things that will last like gold and silver and precious stone. Because in 50 years, in 500 years, in 2,500 years, that gold and silver and precious stone will still be gold. It will still be silver. It will still be precious stone. And and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to build your life on the right foundation. And certainly in salvation, you've started right. The only way to the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. But once we've established that foundation, we build upon that foundation. That foundation was given to us by God through Jesus. And how we build on what he's done for us is what we will give an account to God for one day. He says we shall all be careful how we build our lives. He says the only true foundation is Jesus Christ. But be careful in choosing what building materials that you use on that foundation. And so one day, your work on earth, that's your mission and my mission, we will all be inspected by God, inspected on that day of judgment. And God, the Bible says, will test it by fire to see the quality of your work, the quality of your life, the quality of your life mission that's manifested. And that means also in the scripture says everyone will be able to see it. Whether the quality of your work has been manifested, it'll see the true value of what we accomplished on this earth. Now, the Bible says if if your work survives the fire, if your mission of what you're doing on this earth, you tell me, I'm Frank, I'm so busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm all busy. We're all busy. Don't use that anymore. This is the busiest time that we could ever imagine. How in the world can you keep up on YouTube, answer your telephone, watch TV, and get everything else done that you need to do? We're all busy. But if your work, whatever you do, what are you doing with your time and your life? If it survives the fire, Jesus said, Paul writes, you will receive your reward. God wants to give every one of us a reward, the the eternal reward that we're going to receive in heaven. And he says this, but if your work is burned up, if you've spent your entire life as a Christian doing squat for Jesus Christ, of living only for me, for my stuff, for my ego. You know, the word ego means edging God out. If that's all my focus has been, it's what I can get and what I can do. The Bible says if your work is burned up, you'll lose your reward. Now catch this. Even though you yourself will be saved like someone barely escaping a fire. He's not talking about losing your salvation. Don't ever think that can happen because that's negotiated by God in heaven. But he is talking about losing your rewards. You can't lose your salvation because it's a gift. You didn't work for it, so you can't unwork for it. And if you have Christ as your foundation this morning, sleep well tonight. You are going to go to heaven because of that relationship. But he's saying that in heaven there's going to be rewards of how well you used your life. Did you make your life count? 
Did you take time with that neighbor, with that child, with that grandchild? Did you do the efforts that you felt impressed of God to do? Did you do what God put you on earth here to do? And then the big question is this. Do you even care enough to want to know why God put you on this earth? Did you ever ask the questions, where did I come from? Why am I here? Why am I here? Did you take time to work through that? And he says, if you do a pretty good job of it, there's going to be rewards of figuring all of this out. And, 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 but if you say, I, I, I don't do a good job, I don't care to learn a mission, then the Bible's saying you're going to lose whatever rewards will be there. It's very, very important. And as we look at the book of Jonah, we see a guy who had a direct calling from God who not only didn't care, it's like they said to the guy, which is worth apathy or indifference. I don't know and I don't care. That's where Jonah was. He didn't really want to know and he didn't really care what God had laid on his heart to do. And so there are 10 lessons that I want us to look at. I looked at a lot of outlines for this, and almost everyone in the first chapter had 10 principles. And I'll not finish these today. I don't know, unless I hold you over till 4.30 this afternoon. And then I know what your mission will be, kill the preacher. (laughs) And Jesus will probably thank you for it. But, but there are 10 things just highlighted. I want to try it. Some of them make so much sense. I just want you to see the principles extracted from Jonah in chapter 1 here. And you'll need to write quickly. So take a pen, a pencil. Take the little worship guide out of the middle of your paper. Watch on the screen. Let's get into it right now. This is important when you want to fulfill your mission. Number one, my life mission, my life mission will always come through God's word. I'm speaking to Christians. Amen. And my life mission will come through God's word. That's the first thing I want you to write down. It doesn't come from reading a magazine. It doesn't come from watching television. It doesn't come from reading the latest book on leadership. It doesn't come from talking with your friends on what their life mission is. It comes from God, especially for you. Life becomes meaningful immediately and forever when I hear from God and I get a message mission from the Lord with what I'm supposed to do. I don't think you do this every day all the time. We had not heard of Jonah before, and after this, we don't hear anything else about what he does every day. But there ought to be at least one day that you hear from God. There ought to be at least one day in your life that you do something that God has called you to do. There are 17 verses in Jonah chapter 1, and the first verse starts out by saying this. Notice, it says, one day God spoke his word to Jonah, the son of Amittai. That's how he gets his message. God spoke to him. Now, how does God speak to you? He speaks his word to you primarily through his book. Now, God can use lots of ways to do that. When you hear someone teaching, like I'm speaking to you today, or you listen to another preacher on a podcast or on the radio, God may very well speak to you through that. God could speak to you through a brilliant author, gifted author, and you're reading and something just inspires you, and God does that. The Bible says that God speaks through dreams. But trust me when I tell you that God speaking to you will never contradict his word. It is the primary source and is the litmus test for every effort you think if you've heard from God. So we start your mission there. We're going to start in the Bible. And, 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 and we want to stop looking for a vision and start looking for a verse. And let God take that verse, that sign, and take it and put it in your life. The second thing about your mission I want you to write down is, my life mission will require a step of faith. I'm not asking you to change diapers in the nursery. 
that's an act of obedience and needs to be done or to hold a door or to greet someone. I'm talking about a life mission of being something that you're probably not comfortable with. Something that will turn your world, at least for a season, upside down. Things that will change you. And it will require a step of faith. It's going to require you to get out of your comfort zone. It may even challenge your prejudices, be they white or black or Democrat or Republican. It may be a way that you never thought God would move you, but he says, I want your attention in this area. It will stretch your mind. It can stretch your thinking. It can stretch your spirit. So in verse 2, God says to Jonah, Jonah, here's your mission. And notice what he said. Verse 2, I want you to get up. That's the beginning, isn't it? Now, guys, I, I know I'm putting you through a lot today, but act the sermon out with me. Get up. Just stand up for a minute. Just say, Lord, I'm preparing for this message. I'm willing to get up. Many times we want the message. We won't get up. He says, so just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm up. I'm up. All right, you may go down again. You may be seated. But he said to him, he said, now, Jonah, I want you to get up. And then he gave him the rest of it and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, what is Nineveh? You need to know historically that Nineveh was the greatest cosmopolitan community in the known world at that time. It was a very important city. It was the metropolis. It was the center of the universe, basically. It was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria at that particular time, 2,700 years ago, was the strongest empire on the planet. It's very powerful. Nineveh is on the Tigris River. It's what is in today in modern-day Iraq. When our troops were in Mosul and you saw the the Muslims tearing apart all of the history that was in that great city, they were tearing apart Nineveh. They were destroying all of that history. And it was a beautiful city. Palaces and parkways and boulevards and canals and great architecture and palaces and temples to multiple gods. And it was an incredibly metropolitan, beautiful city. But you need to know it was also a very cruel city. It was a very brutal city at that time. And it was a very wicked city. Because the Assyrians were known as the Nazis of their day. They not only would conquer people. They would want to use that conquering time as a testimony that no one else would rise against them. So it was not unusual at all for them to go into a community, into a country and, and a village. And call out all the men to come and stand forward. And then they would call all the teenage boys to come forward. And then they would go get from the infant in the cradle all the way through elementary school male children and bring them at the gate. And they would decapitate them, each and every one, in front of all the women and the children that were left. And they would put their skulls on the walls of the city to serve as a notice that you don't mess with us. You don't mess with Assyria. They were not nice people. There was a whole lot of evil going on in this beautiful city. And that is probably why it took a lot of faith for Jonah to like them because Jonah had a tribal mindset, not a global mission mindset. Jonah was still seeing God as the one that worshiped the, that, that loved the Jewish people and they worshiped God. He did not see God's love for the other people, the other country, or even the other side of the street. And he knew that very, very much that the Assyrians hated Israel with a passion and there was no love loss on either side. And God's saying to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to leave this little podunk country area. And I want you to go to a metropolitan area where you go, Shazam. Where you've never seen the bright lights. Where you've never seen the city life. 
For you've come off the farm in this little place of Israel where you've been all this time. And I want you to go. Trust me, my friend. When we talk about a stretch, that's going to be a stretch for Jonah culturally. That is going to be a stretch for Jonah philosophically and culturally in everything that he had known at that point in time. The second thing that you need to know is that Nineveh is about 550 miles away from where Jonah lived in Israel. There was no Greyhound bus. He was smart enough to know to go to Nineveh, he would have to walk. That's 550 miles in a pair of sandals. A very long way to go. It's not going to be an easy journey. And more than that, it was a step of faith, especially because they were mortal enemies with each other. You see, the Assyrians previously had already captured Jewish people and made them slaves in several several different battles and several different times. And so the Assyrians hated Israel. Just think of the hatred that could go from country to country. And then there was reciprocity because Israel hated the Assyrians. There was no love there. There would be no love lost there. They were mortal enemies. They were political enemies. They were religious enemies. They were racial enemies. They just didn't like each other. So we've got a problem here because your life mission will probably challenge your comfort zone of the things that you don't like. It may change the way you view politics. It may change the way you look at your prejudices. Number three, write this down. This is crazy. My life mission will somehow help others. I don't understand, God. Can anything good come from? But my life mission will somehow help others. I want to tell you why God gives us a mission to go to the places we don't want to go. In January of this coming year, our Southern Baptist Convention, our International Mission Board, has opened the doors up across the nation to invite lay people from all across America to come to the headquarters in Richmond, Virginia, just to see if God may be calling you into a short-term mission trip or a long-term mission trip or a career in world missions. You think we're having trouble hiring policemen? You think we're having trouble getting firefighters and enlistment in the military? The, the, the vacancy of men and women willing to lay their lives down and serve the Lord Jesus Christ has never been more important than it is right now in this day and time. And, and, and it's a life mission when you accept it that not only helps me, I see a life mission that will help others. Now, it's okay to have personal goals. I think we all ought to have personal goals. I've been trying to lose 20 pounds for 20 years. I'm not giving up on that thing. When I get it down, we'll sing, thin at last, thin at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm thin at last. (laughs) But life is different than that. Life is about how God wants to use you to help other people. And, And the truth is, when you think about other people, I don't care where you're at doctrinally on the sovereignty of God. He's sovereign. Just get over it. But God loves everyone. Don't think there's no one that God doesn't love. For God so loved the all of us, the people in the world. He loved them all. He cares about injustice in this world. He cares about the homeless. He cares about the helpless. He cares about the lost and the last and the least. Because he knows how it's hurting his children. 
And so this was part of Jonah's life mission. What we learn about life mission from Jonah, the second half of verse 2, notice with me, it says, he says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and tell them that I see all the evil happening there. God sees everything. God sees it. He says, I see all the evil that's happening there. And then he added these four words, or five words, and I will not ignore it. God is patient, but there's a time that God will not ignore it. So Jonah's thinking, that's going to be a really popular message, God. I mean, thank you very much. I don't want to go. And the message you want me to give them is that they stink, that you're not going to put up with it any longer. Incidentally, of all the prophets that we have in the Old Testament, Jonah is the only prophet that only had one prophecy, and that prophecy never came true. God changed his mind. You don't know what God wants to do. You're not God. And he said, Lord, what is this going to be? And, and God's having him share it because he cares about the pain of those people. God loves cities. I believe God loves Columbus, Ohio, and Cleveland, Ohio, and Cincinnati, Ohio, where millions of people have gathered together and desperately need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. He loved every person in Nineveh, but he also saw how he hated the injustice and the evil that was being inflicted on people from that city was. And these verses are not on the screen, but will you just listen for a moment? If you want to write the reference down, it's Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, where it says, God is a God of forgiveness. Gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and full of patient love and mercy. He does not abandon people in their sin. Isn't that good to know? He does not abandon them. That's part of our life mission is to remind people that God loves you just the way you are. He loves you as much before you get saved as he does after you get saved. But no one can have a relationship with God personally without being saved. 2 Peter 3, 9, again, not on the screen. It says, God is patient with you, not willing that anyone perish, but everyone comes to repentance. But then the next verse says, but the day of the Lord will come. There will be a judgment day and a time. And, 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 and he says he wants everyone to come to repentance. And here's what repentance means. It just means to turn around. It means to change your mind about God. Poor Britney Spears has had a rough week. I don't know if you've kept up with it. On Monday, she said, I've been through hell because of my daddy, but I've got my money now, so I love God. And then on Thursday, she came out with a new song, and she just announced, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. God wasn't there, and he wouldn't take care of me. Now, I hope that Brittany's having, another, having her first, maybe the second, mental breakdown because uh, God is always concerned about us. And what she said on Monday is probably what I truly think she means. But under the influence of pressure, maybe in a moment she said something different. But let me tell you what repentance is. Repentance is turning around and changing your mind about God away from the injustice or the evilness in my life. Number four, when you get ready for your life mission, whatever it is, my life mission will scare me at first. You know, it'll be a little scary. Because think of this. This is God's mission for your life. And because it's God's vision, it's always bigger than your vision. Doesn't the Bible say that his ways are greater than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts? It's bigger than you. And, and that can be scary to us. God, you want me to do what? With who? When? Where? You want me to do what? 
And a lot of us know exactly like that. It scared Jonah. God told Jonah, arise and go to that great land of Nineveh. And I love his response in verse 3. Look at it, underline it. It may be you. But Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord. That's why I called it, you can run, but you can't hide. I'll, you ever watch a three-year-old play hide-and-seek? They'll just put their fingers up. You can't see me. <laughs> They're standing right there. The truth is God can see everything. Uh, he heard about it. God says, you're going to go to Nineveh. And he says, there's no way I'm doing that, God. That's the last thing in the world that I'm doing. I'm not going to Nineveh. I don't want to be there. I'm scared to be there. And the Bible says that he ran in the opposite direction. And guys, when you're scared, when you're alone, when you're going through anxiety... Sociologists and psychologists tell us there are two things that can inflict in your body, the fight syndrome or the flight syndrome. And Jonah was not ready to stand and fight for his land. He took the flight syndrome, and he just took off to get as fast as he could away from God. And he reminds us and reminds me to ask myself a question, a question all of us need to ask ourselves from time to time, and it is this. If we feel like we're on the run, what am I running from? right now in my life is there something that over the weeks months gently you've kind of push it back but God's spoken to you that he wants you to do and you kind of just either ignore it or literally like Jonah you're running from it is there something I'm running from am I running from my past and you haven't dealt with that past listen the only way you can put yesterday to sleep is to let it have a good night by giving it to the Lord Jesus Christ or am I running from my problems And, you know, whatever problems you're going through right now, think about the problems you had last year. God took care of those. He's going to take care of these, and he'll take care of the ones next year. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Am I running even from some opportunities that might be in front of me that scare me? You get an opportunity, and you say, I don't know if I'm capable of doing that. Well, if he wants you to do it, he will equip you to be capable for doing that. And if he keeps putting it in front of you, it's something you should consider. Or maybe am I running from the expectations of other people? And you don't want to live for the expectations of others. But sometimes those things can get us all worked up. And all of it is there's some place that I'm running from God. So I ask myself the question. We all need to ask the question. Is there something that God has told me to do and I'm not willing to do it? Sometimes we give invitations in church to help people, make it easier for people to respond to what the Holy Spirit's saying on the inside. It's a way, it's a manifestation of being able to say, God, I acknowledge that you're speaking to me. My stepping forward in faith is saying, I acknowledge that, and I'm going to be obedient to you. Am I willing to do it, or am I running as far away as I can? It's not on the screen, but I know you know this verse. Just listen, you've been good listeners today. In Psalm 139, it says, I can never escape from God. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I went up to heaven, you're there. If I die, you're there. If I flew as far as east or west as possible, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. I love this part. To you, Lord, the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You can run, but you can't hide from God. And one of the great lessons of life we can learn is that when I get afraid, I run to God. I don't run away from God. 
Would you jot that down? When I'm afraid, I run to God, not away from God. I want to get as close to God as possible. And Jonah made the mistake. He tried to run away from God. And you can do that. And I will tell you, God will let you do it in his patience. I've been guilty from running, delaying, saying it was gas instead of God speaking to me, putting everything off that I knew that he wanted me to do at a time. And you can try to run away from God for the rest of your life. But then you're going to run into number five. And number five is running from my mission causes bad consequences. When you run away as a child of God from what God wants you to do, there will be consequences. God says, go. Jonah says, no. God says, oh? (laughs) Really, Jonah? You're not going to do what I want you to do? Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never heard it, let me tell it to you for the first time today. There are always consequences to every decision. You see, one of the neat things that God did is give you the ability to choose. We have that freedom. I can choose to totally ignore God with my life if I want to. I don't have to love God. I don't have to obey God. I don't have to acknowledge God. I can pretend that God doesn't exist. You're free to make any choice like that. God gave you that freedom. But you are not free from the consequences of that decision. I can walk on a building on the roof of a 10-story building. I can choose to step off of that building, but I cannot control the consequences of gravity. And you cannot choose the consequences of decisions that you make without the help of the Lord. The consequences of Jonah running from God are great. In fact, there are four of them that I want to try to get through. I know I won't get any further than that today. But these four consequences are the same four consequences that happen in your life and in my life when we run from God. When you ignore your life mission. When you try to pretend you are God, that you have everything in control. When you try to play God and you say, I'm not going to do it, God. You, you, you know, I will what I will and I'll do what I want to do. I know what will make me happy, God, more than you do. And that kind of mindset, there are always consequences. Four that are always going to show up. They're all negative. Number one, write these down. If I run from God, number one, my life will go downhill. Always. You say, well, Frank, I know people that have left their family that have been scoundrels and they're having a great time. Yeah, sin is enjoyable for a season, but it goes downhill very, very quick. Running from God is always on a slide. It's always degrading. It's always downhill. You're headed down over and over and over, down, down, down. There's an important word that's used in Jonah's story that I want you to see over and over and over, and it's the word down. You can find it through the whole book of Jonah, all four chapters. It's used over and over. In fact, I want you, I've underlined it on your outline, but I want you to circle the word as these that I'm sharing with you. Notice in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1, it says, Jonah went down, circle that word down, to Joppa. Now that's a city on the eastern coast, on the, uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, not eastern, but western. It's, it's uh, in the Palestinian area. It's a place that he's going to go, and it was under the control of the Phoenicians at that time. But notice what it said. Jonah went down to Joppa where he found a ship headed for the port of Tarshish. He paid the price. Historians say that currency had just come into existence about this time. The exchange of money began to happen about 2700 B.C. for this economy. And so he paid the price to sell to Tarshish, and he went down, notice again, below deck. 
hoping to get as far away from God as he could. Notice in verse 5, Jonah was down below, laying down, sound asleep. There was going to be a storm. Notice in chapter 2, verse 3, it says they threw him overboard. He says, I sank down, down into the deep sea. And in verse 6, it says, I was as far down as a body could go. Running from God is all downhill. Down, 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 dooby-doo, down, down is what Jonah was experiencing. He couldn't get over it. He was just going down farther and farther. And if you want to run from God, can I tell you this? This may be one of the most important things I'll say to your flesh today. If you want to run away from God, Satan will always provide a ship. Satan will always have someone that's willing to sin with you, for you, or go before you. It's easy to find a ship. Satan will make sure of that. Do you realize that Satan can set up circumstances as easy as God? I hear someone say, I've lived with my wife for 30 years, but I I went to this party and I met this woman and she's so fascinating. And and I know that we're soulmates and I knew the circumstances and were that this is the person I should be married to. Is it possible that Satan could have engineered those circumstances? Is it possible that that you were in a place that you shouldn't have been to begin with without your bride? Is it possible that in that environment where you let your guard down that Satan could attack? Just remember, if you want to run from God, he'll provide a ship. There'll always be one there. Just go downtown Columbus. Go from Skid Row to the really nice clubs with red velvet carpet and marquee lights. And inside, if you're not careful of who you are and how you carry yourself, Satan will always provide someone or something to get us off track. The second negative consequence on the flip side of your notes, if you'll turn it over, if I run from God, it will cost me. Not only do you go downhill, but it's going to cost you. Do you notice the phrase in verse 3? He paid the price to sell to Tarshish. If you go God's way, God picks up the tab. You go your own way, you're going to pay for it, Sonny Buck. There's always a price tag in running from God. And it always costs more to run from God than it costs to run to God. That's why we're encouraged in Scripture to run to God in God's direction. There's always going to be a price tag. There's an emotional price tag. There's a relational price tag. There's a spiritual price tag. Many times there's a financial price tag. It always costs more to run from God than to run with God. And he's told to go to Nineveh, which is east, but instead he goes to Tarshish, which is as far west as you could go. Let me have the map just for a second. This was the map of the real world in that day, 2,700 years ago. Joppa is right there in the middle of Israel. Nineveh to the east would have been 550 miles. That's where God wanted Jonah to go. Jonah says, oh, no, I'm going to go the other direction. So he goes 2,500 miles to the end of the known world on the coast of Spain. Historians will tell you that the history in that time in Europe and the middle part of Asia knew nothing of Great Britain or Scotland, certainly not North America or South America. That's why many centuries later, Christopher Columbus would go sailing the ocean blue. But at that time in history, Jonah went as far away from God as he could possibly go. He wanted to get away from the Lord. And he goes there to stay away. And uh, as he was doing that, he says, I'm just going to go the opposite direction that God would want me to do. You know anyone that believes like that? I'm going to go as far in the opposite direction as God tells me to as I can. I've heard testimonies from very famous people that told me they did that. 
1993, Billy Graham preached his last crusade in Columbus, Ohio. And one night, his special singer was Johnny Cash. We took an entire busload of people. It was about our whole church at that time. And we went down and parked at the old Jet Stadium and went in. And if I live to be 100, I'll never forget, here's Billy Graham having Johnny Cash, the man in black, stand up to give his testimony and sing a song. And he stood up and he started strumming. He said, well, no, wait. He said, the truth of the matter is, I'm not where I ought to be with God. He said, I've gotten away from the Lord. And I'm going to rededicate my life right now. And he did. And then he sang a song. And I thought, isn't that amazing? God's hand and God's draw. He didn't have to say that in front of that crowd. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know who you are, Johnny Cash. You know where you come from. You know what I've done in your life. Don't let the glitter of the world draw you away. And at that point, he, Jonah experiences something that Johnny didn't because Jonah didn't listen to God. He has to pay the price. But number three, if I run from God... God will oppose me. Have you ever tried to fist fight with God? Have you ever tried to shadow box with God shadow box with God? I won't even fight my wife. I can't even win there. Certainly I know I'm not going to win with God. He's not going to just let things happen that you want to do because he loves you. If you truly are a child of God, if there's been a time in your life where you have said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me my sins, and you really meant that, if that's you, raise your hand. Preacher, I know that I know that I know I'm saved and I'm going to have most of you in this room. I want you to know that when you sin, if you sin, when Satan tricks you up, and I'm not saying you have to sin, but if you do sin, God is on your side, but he's going to oppose what you're doing. God is going to oppose that because he knows that it's not good for you. He knows what will make you happy more than you do. And so if I run from God, God will oppose me. And Jonah goes down and he buys a ticket and he finds a ship and he goes on board and he goes down to the bottom below the deck and he thinks he's going on a Mediterranean cruise. You ever been on a cruise? He's down there in his own cabin and nice little Mediterranean cruise to Tarshish. But notice what it says, verse 4. It says in verse 4, as the ship was sailing, the Lord sent an opposing wind. Circle that phrase, an opposing wind on your outline. Why did God send an opposing wind? Because God loved Jonah. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Have you ever tried to make something happen and it doesn't happen? You're doing it in your flesh and you want to be successful in it. No matter what you do, it's just not happening. It's like there's an invisible force that keeps it from coming about. And maybe you're not even sinning. Can I just go on the side for a moment and say this? Maybe you're trying to do something that you think is good. Maybe a new business, maybe a new direction, maybe a new friendship, something that you want to do, and God just blocks it, and the promotion doesn't come through. The relationship doesn't blossom. Things happen, and maybe, just maybe, God didn't want you to have that promotion. Maybe God has a greater plan, a better plan. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, you know, I almost married the perfect guy, the wrong guy, three times. She said, I was sure they were the right ones before I met Billy. She said, I'm glad that God's ways were better than my ways. So let me ask you this morning, what's the opposing wind you're feeling today? I mean, right now, this week, is there something that you feel like there's opposition? Instead of saying, why God? Maybe pray, show me God. You say, Lord, I'm really trying this. I'm trying to get it down. God says, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to go that way. If I run from God, I'm going to go downhill. If I run from God, it's going to cost me. If I run from God, God's going to send an opposing wind. 
And finally this morning, if I run from God, other people are going to get hurt. My running from God will impact other people if I'm a believer. Not just you, you're not the only one. But innocent people get hurt all the time because of our sin. It may be your spouse. There are wives that are being hurt by husbands who are running from God. They say they're running around, but they're really running from God. There are men, husbands, that are hurt because wives are running from God. You say, how can that happen? You may hurt your kids. You may hurt your grandkids. You may leave that marriage, and then your wife ends up on about a third of the salary and has to work three jobs to put food in the mouth of the children while you're living the good life. There are a lot of people that are going to be hurt because of your enjoyment and because of your sin. It may hurt your family. It may hurt your friends. You may be hurting your business because you're running from God. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Achan, you remember this in Joshua, who ran from God. He did the wrong thing. And as a result of one man's sin, the entire army was defeated. An entire army came down because this guy had a private sin that he didn't think anyone was going to know about. They were all innocent. Sin may be private. You think nobody knows about it, but it's never personal. Sin can be private, but it is never personal. If I sin, you may not know what my sin is but it may affect you somehow. When you sin, it never affects just you. They, they may not even ever know about it. Your secret sin that you think, well, it's just me. I'm the only one that knows about it. No, God knows about it. And on top of that, it's affecting other people in ways you don't know. I know you go in your private room on your private computer and you watch the pornography and you think that's some secret sin, but trust me, it's affecting your relationship. Because all of a sudden you develop a screen sex life or a paper sex life and no other person would ever be able to live up to that expectation. There are a lot of other things that could go into a name, but the fact is other people will get hurt. And that's what happens in Jonah 1.4. It says, The opposing wind created such a massive storm that the ship was now in danger of breaking apart. The whole corporation was about to go down. The company was going to fail because the CEO decided he wanted to run from God. Jonah's causing a lot of problems for other people. People he didn't even know. They didn't know his name. He's down in his bunk bed staying away from them. But he's running from God. So I want to ask you, who are you causing problems for? We should ask ourselves, who's being hurt by my sin? Not just me because it hurts my relationship with God, but it hurts those people around me. Follow the story quickly. In Jonah 1.5, it says they're in the middle of a big storm. That's not their fault. They're in a storm. God sent the storm. It says in verse 5, notice on the screen, all the sailors were terrified and they cried out in desperation to whatever gods each one trusted. These guys are pagans and they're crying out to some spiritual leader. And it says, and they, threw, they also threw overboard during the storm everything they could to lighten the ship. Do you know why they loaded the things on the ship that they just threw overboard? Because they were valuable. There was cargo. They were taking it to another country. They were going to sell it. It was their Sunday suit. It was their prized jewelry. It was everything. But when you're out of God's will and you have to throw things overboard, you tend throwing away the best things that you never would have thrown away if you were thinking clearly. If you weren't in the storm. You start throwing away valuable values, valuable habits, valuable relationships. You stop going to church. You start throwing all that stuff away. You try to lighten your load. And actually, you're throwing the stuff away on the ship that could help save you and keep you and draw you closer to God. 
We start giving up on stuff that we really need, and that's important and vital to our lives. They throw it overboard. And while the storm threatening everyone, Jonah was down below deck sleeping. You say, oh, what a great man of God. Uh, He's paying no attention. Oh, no, these guys are fighting for their lives. He's down there because he is running from God. I want to close this morning. I'm not finished. I'm just closing. And tell you that if there's an area of your life that you're running from God, if you're afraid of your life mission, if you're afraid to trust God, to ask him, Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. Here am I, forgive me. I want you to know that he is there and he's alive. And because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Tomorrow.